You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Just like it's possible to hack into devices and locations all over the world, you can hack into your mind. There are all types of great hackers in the world who know how to break into tightly locked places and devices and reap the benefits of whatever is behind those closely guarded doors. Well, what if I told you that yoga could be used as a life hack, breaking into your inner world and opening you up to a new life of infinite growth and inner peace? Tune in to this episode to learn more about how the practice of yoga is relevant to our functioning in the world today. How and why does yoga work? Let's investigate together and hack your mind for peace and happiness. Now, we are here today because thousands of years ago, there were yoga practitioners in India who devoted themselves to this discipline of practice, kind of like developing what you could call a technology or a method to kind of hack into the operating system of the human mind. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not really a hacker. Um, I don't know if anyone who's here is a hacker, but I'm not. I I, but I have a friend of mine who you can give him an iPhone, and the things that he can do with that iPhone are incredible. You know, there are all sorts of things like jailbreaking and like interesting softwares that can download like movies that are in the current cinema and these sorts of things. And so, you know, he's kind of like a low key hacker and he can do things with the phone that nobody else can. And it feels, well, it feels like magic. And there was a point when almost everybody went to him for advice. Like, hi, can you do that cool thing with my phone? I did also. I went with my phone. I said, hey, my friend, I need to put a non-US carrier SIM card in my phone. Can you please jailbreak this thing? And um, he he jailbroke it. And then I did the bad thing of updating the software. I don't know if any of you have ever tried that. But then that unjailbreaks the phone and puts it back in jail. So I sent him a message and said, excuse me, but I have uh, put my phone back in the jail. So (laughs) is there a way that you could uh, post bail from Thailand? He was from Thailand. And um, then he sent me the step-by-step software to train me to become a hacker. And um, I followed the directions, and I I miraculously jailbroke the phone. So I wouldn't recommend anybody to do that. Uh, So, But I'm telling you that because the human mind and this operating system that we exist in, our body, your body, your mind, is a technology, a device, very much like the iPhone or any other advanced mobile phone. And you, you have it for a period of time. You have use on it. And it has a particular operating system that's installed. And you have not necessarily been a conscious creator of that operating system, much in the same way that you're not over there in Apple headquarters chatting with the people that designed the software. Could you make my phone a little bit like that? Actually, could you make portrait mode work on video? Parentheses, why doesn't that work? Um, (laughs) So now if we think about it, we're not there in the operating system of the mind. We're here. 
you know, we just wake up one day and we think thoughts that we think primarily unconsciously. We have this body. We don't know how to use it. We don't know how it feels. We have this mind that, you know, neuroscience shows we only use a very small percentage of the capacity of the human brain. What's going on with the rest of the brain? It's lying there dormant, much the same way as the majority of us, unfortunately, use our technology devices. You know, we treat a computer that has this, this amazing processing power to be able to, you know, do advanced mathematical computations and we treat it like oh we treat it like a typewriter you know we type notes to our family and friends and occasionally you know manage to put more light on a photo and we feel extremely proud of ourselves look i've lightened this photo you can now see the face of my dog right <laughs> so so then and this is sort of how we treat our bodies as well here we are and we go around in the body and you know we put various clothes on it and maybe we like it or don't like it we think thoughts about it but are the vast potential of the human body as well as the human mind is untapped and its programming has been set by kind of a you know a system that existed long before us and by programmers who we never really gave conscious control to sort of check off the boxes like yeah check off the box of self self hate i'd really like to have that one and could you also check off the box of of, you know, self-directed negativity and frustration with myself and general irritation with the world and throw in some clumsiness while you're at it because that'd be just what I want to sign up for, you know? Then you wake up, if you could choose, you'd be like intelligence check, self-love check, general forgiveness towards all. And you know what? Throw in a handstand press because like, why not? <laughs> It'd be fun, right? So when I think about it, what we're looking at in terms of a very contemporary analogy of what yoga and the spiritual path represent, it's like the ultimate mind hack. We're in there and you can hack into that system, that system that primarily operates in the realm of the subconscious mind, in the realm where there are thoughts and programs running that you never gave your conscious you know, conscious consent to, but are anyhow the primary programs that run the majority of your life. They're absorbed through osmosis. They're absorbed when we're small children. They're absorbed in the womb. You know, we can't blame the parents because the same thing happened to them. And it's just this cycle of kind of incarnation that we're, you know, we're in, we're in. It's a little bit like every year, you know, there's an update to the iPhone and we're hooked. We're like, okay, I'm gonna, maybe I should impress it, I don't know. But then you press it and then it's another generation, you know? It's just the human, the human life form takes like 100 years to get the update. But, and there's only marginal improvement. A big update is gonna come. What happens? New emojis, thank you, right? <laughs> thank you, I can now send peacocks to my friends. I like, actually, I was happy about that. I like peacocks actually. And there are some peacocks near my mom's house. And so I've actually made use of that peacock emoji. Um, so now if we think about this, the life hack that is the yoga practice, you can hack into that system and become something really cool, a conscious creator of the thoughts that you think, a conscious creator of the way that you feel in the body. You can access those inaccessible parts of the mind and make some really important changes in, the, in what you could call the operating system of the mind. This is the science and the technology of yoga discovered thousands of years ago by practitioners in India, passed down to us over generations. And so we owe a big debt to all of those life hackers, those yoga hackers that sat there and tinkered with this software that's inside of the mind and tinkered with it over and over again and never stopped. Because if we didn't, if they didn't do that, you know, 
we would still be around thinking that, you know, our bodies were the end result of our happiness and that the accumulation of material possessions would inevitably fill this sort of void that almost every human being has inside. Now, when we think about this, this is a wonderful gift something that you can be empowered. And you may feel like I felt in the yoga practice when my friend from Thailand sent me the step-by-step -step instructions of how to jailbreak my phone and install the hacker software so I could put a Swiss SIM card in. And I was also in a rush because my plane was leaving and I, I was in a bind because I had told the people who were gonna meet me at the airport in Switzerland that I would text them upon arrival. My US SIM, code, SIM, SIM card did not work in Europe. So I had 45 minutes to learn how to jailbreak my phone. I don't know if any of you ever feel like that when you come to an Ashtanga class where you feel like I have an hour and I don't know what's going on. You know, here it is, and I have sun salutations. I don't know what those are, but everyone else seems to know what's going on. And then I gotta do this balancing pose and I'm hopping around on my foot. Somehow when you look around, I don't know if this happens to you, but it definitely happens to me. It looks like everyone else is getting it. Do you have that experience? It looks like everyone else is fine, but me over here, I'm a little disaster. Now, when you're in your sort of focus, you don't realize it, but you have poses where you are also look like you're doing very, very well. You just don't notice other people looking at you in that moment. Well, you may feel intimidated. You may feel frustrated and you may feel like this doesn't work for me because all these poses are really hard. Doesn't make sense. Step one doesn't make sense with step two. I felt like that when I followed these instructions. I can't even remember what these instructions were, but they were insane. It was like connect your phone to your computer, hold function F and the space bar and, and the letter Q at the same time for 35 seconds. And then with your foot, touch your phone. I mean, it was just this thing. I was like, this is not going to work. Like, this is not, I'm going to be in Switzerland and like, just have to figure things out and hopefully it'll be okay. But all these instructions didn't make sense. Just like yoga at first doesn't make sense. Get up early in the morning. How many people think that doesn't make sense? I'm gonna sign on for that one, right? If you could change that, let's cancel get up early in the morning. That's the instruction, get up early in the morning. So that doesn't make sense at first, be resisted. Can I just do it in the afternoon? It's so much nicer in the afternoon. Or just midday yoga, like wouldn't that be nice? Like lunchtime, power hour, let's do that. Well, that's not Ashtanga, you know, that's not the traditional practice. One of the reasons why, and there's always these reasons, and you know, later if you go into the software, you know, I'm sure there's some reason why you have to hold all these little weird buttons at the same time, because it communicates to the computer in a computer way, speaking some computer code language that I have no idea about. And the same thing happens with the body. There's a language the body speaks, and it's a subtle language that's not the language of words. It's more the language of music, or it's more the language of feeling and emotion, and it's best done when the language of the mind is not turned on. So the thinking mind operates in words. I'm speaking in words right now, but your body is communicating with my body in a space that is not words. Who's familiar with what I'm talking about? Anybody familiar with something like this? So this is, there are these studies in human communication that show the vast majority of communication happens through body language. So bodies are speaking and they're speaking without you being aware of it. It's not like you're like, well, her body's saying this. So therefore I think that yoga works. You know, it's not, that's your, that's your intellect. That's your mind. That's the brain making computational analysis. But body to body communication happens best when the mind is silent. And one of the reasons why yoga is meant to happen first thing in the morning is because we're trying to actually make a benefit out of that sleepiness that happens first thing in the morning. You know, in the morning, people ask you questions and you're like, please, 
Just give me a few moments and then we can speak. I haven't had coffee and I'll be back, right? My husband is like that, you know? I, I, for some, I actually am very strange. I wake up in the morning and I'm like filled with ideas first thing in the morning. I'm a strange being, but I've learned to keep those ideas to myself. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear them until around nine, <laughs> right? So now if you're, if you're a normal human being, you know, more like my husband, I think, wake up in the morning, there's this grogginess in the mind, this kind of silence. And in that silence, the body can be accessed to a deeper degree. So in the silence of the mind, the intelligence of the body arises. This is the, probably the first and perhaps most important reason why yoga practice is advised to be done first thing in the morning. Whatever your morning is, first thing in the morning. As close to sunrise or before sunrise as possible so that you can also work with the natural biological rhythms of the body. Even if you wake up late or later, you'll notice that the mind is in a different space than it is if you wake up earlier in the morning. For example, you wake up at 6 a.m., there's a different quality to the atmosphere of the world around you rather than you wake up at 11 a.m. This is a different feeling. Life and its busyness has started and that impacts what messages your body is open to receiving, also just the state of the body. Now, unfortunately, there's a really big benefit practicing early in the morning. There's a whole host of other things that I could go into, and I'll talk briefly about some of those. The, the, the second most important one, what happens the longer you wait to practice from when you wake up? Who can tell me? What happens? Life happens. What, and then and what, what? Something. I'm thinking of something very specific and very fundamental to the human being. Hunger. <laughs> Hunger. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, you know, let me just like do my laundry. I'll start doing my laundry, do the laundry. I'm going to get this done before practice. And then, you know what? Oh, there's some dust. Let me clean up my dust. And then, da, da, da. And then you know what? Oh, the dog needs walking. Oh, of course. I'm so sorry. I forgot about you. Let's go for a walk. Okay, come on. Come back for your walk. And then you're like, oh. Pancakes. I need pancakes is what I need. I actually don't need asana. Then your yoga mat's looking there sad at you and you're like, I should, I, <laughs> start practice hungry, it's miserable, you know? If you can do it, anyhow, you'll get over it a little bit. But hunger is such a big driver so that, that you want to practice as close to waking up as possible for that very sound silly, but very important reason, you know, hunger. When hunger is your driver, you can take a whole host of really bad decisions. That's why we've developed this phrase, hangry, you know? So if we think about this, it's extremely important. There's a subtext to that, which is also very beneficial for the body. Earlier you practice in the day, the less likely it is you've had breakfast or any other food items that have been ingested into the body, which means that you are exercising or moving the body in a fasting or resting state, which means you can access deeper into the inner organs, you can access deeper into the physical body. It doesn't mean that your practice will be easier, but it means you have deeper access. In the morning, the body is stiffer. Does everybody agree? Yes. yes. Then we're like, see, it should be the evening. Definitely, right? Body is stiffer in the morning and body is so flexible in the evening. Why is that? right? We're not doing the practice to stretch the body. And this is something every yoga practitioner really needs to just get hammered into their heads over and over and over again, because it's something you'll constantly go back to. Oh, but uh, my, my back bend isn't deep enough. Oh, my handstand isn't good. It's not about that. The reason we practice when the body is a little stiffer is, again, you have access to deeper subconscious patterns that are held in the memory of the body. 
it should be more difficult because we're here not to just touch all the happy patterns, but we're here to touch what we could call the negative samskaras, the behavioral patterns that are so deeply held in our subconscious mind that they're, that they're destructive in our lives. These are often, again, subconscious patterns. These patterns, called samskaras in Sanskrit, and aggregate into even larger patterns, which are also called vasanas, just two Sanskrit terms for just large life patterns that aggregate together. Contemporary neuroscience has discovered that there are pathways inside of the brain um, that when they fire, so if you engage in a particular pattern, your brain needs to engage in a particular type of thinking, and that's called when your neurons fire together and you establish a pathway, then the second half of that, who knows that phrase? Very good. So when, when the neurons that fire together, wire together. So you can think of your brain. Now we're using this image of kind of, you know, a, a, a piece of technology like your phone or your computer. Well, here we have an electrical circuit. And when an ele electrical circuit gets wired together, that means that the, that the electricity, the thought, easily travels through there. Now, if you want to run electricity to some new place, is that easy I'm not even thinking, like to take that out of the brain. How many of you have ever done any home remodeling? Right? Or seen HDTV or something like that. If you think running electricity is not the most easy thing in the world. And I'll tell you, there's some place in my bathroom at home where I really want an electrical outlet. I want an electric, I just want one there. I, I would use it. I, there's, I, I would like an electrical outlet. And then and I investigated what it would take to wire a new electrical outlet there. I would have to break the tile that's in the bathroom, break my entire closet, because that's the nearest source of electricity, so deconstruct my whole closet if you've seen my closet that is not something that needs to be deconstructed like that that's that's like a, a rabbit hole one should never enter um, and so that would need to be deconstructed and, and then wired and then reconstructed and then I thought oh you know an extension cord is a wonderful item you know <laughs> however the brain uh, doesn't have the ability to you know not it's not necessarily true but what we're looking at when we come into the yoga practice we're doing new yoga poses we're engaging in new behaviors you're looking to change the neurobiology of your brain you're looking to stop firing on what is already a wired path conscious or subconscious doesn't matter conscious or subconscious better if you can find the subconscious pattern that is firing and wiring over and over again in a repetition without you being aware of it. Because those patterns are the ones that you were born with. Those patterns are the ones that you learned before you were a conscious creator of your life. Those patterns are the ones that are the source of self-sabotage that come back up and get you when you think life is wonderful. They're the source of recidivism, which is backsliding, going back into old patterns when you thought you were past them. How many of you have ever done something like that? You thought you were done with some way of being? I've done that more times than I liked. Then what's interesting about that is again, if we think about that fire and wire together, you have a behavior, that behavior is evident. You engage in that behavior and you've been doing it for a while. At some moment you become cognizant. That behavior leads to suffering. It could be something as simple as, you know, overstretching, right? Overstretching leads to suffering. You know, you overstretch, hurt your body, pull too much, you get injuries, and then that leads to suffering. Multiple visits to, you know, your massage therapist and acupuncturist, and you have to talk to your yoga teacher. I'm sorry, I did it again. I have overstretched my hamstring, and I yanked on my foot. You told me not to yank on my foot, and I, I said I wouldn't pull anymore, but I've pulled, and now I have to bend my knee again, you know, and then you feel terrible. About How many of you have done exactly that? 
Anyone? Many people, right? Unfortunately, we do this. Then, what do you think now? As soon as that happens, can't believe I did it again. I did it again. Here I go. Can't believe it. Did it again. Never going to do it again. I swear I'm never going to do it again. I'm going to let this heal. I'm not going to... But what are you doing? You're firing and wiring the same path. It's the same frequency. It's the same group of neurons. It's the same group of activity. It's the same vibration of thought, you could say. And it's repeated in the body. You heal. And then did you address the root of where the pulling came from? No. You're just like, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. I won't do it again. But the more you think that, the more likely it is that guess what? You're going to do it again. Then you do it again your second time. Anybody done it two times? Injured your hamstring twice? Three times? Anyone done three times? Numerous times, so many lost counts, right? <laughs> right? So now, what do we have? We have a cycle. And this is what a samskar is. This is a cycle. I won't do it again. I won't do it again. I hate myself that I did it again. The more you hate yourself that you did it again, the more likely it is you're going to do it again. And you do it again. You say, I'm never going to do it again. I hate myself even more. I can't believe it. You do it again. And again, because the, the brain is just like, nah, 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 it's like a, just you take that pathway over and over again. That's why yoga is hard. Practice first thing in the morning. Practice first thing in the morning when the mind isn't turned on, when there's not energy at those old familiar pathways and it feels sticky and new and weird. And it feels like, I don't know where I am. These poses are weird and new. I don't know where my body is. I can't feel anything. That's because you're trying to build a new neurological pathway. You're trying to think a new thought which requires so much effort, so much effort. So contemporary neuroscience, this is a statistic that's kind of getting passed around right now, says that by the time a person is 35 years old, the majority of our thinking, and I mean the majority, I don't mean like 50%, I mean something like over 90%, close to 95% of the average 35-year-old's thinking is automated, ritualized, habituated, in other words, set in stone and happening in the subconscious mind. Think about that. That's nuts. That's like nuts. We're like, wait a minute. Those of you who are under 35 are like, well, I, I still have time. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. And those of you who are over 35 are like, what happens over 35? <laughs> what, what goes on then? We just keep thinking the same thoughts. You keep thinking the same thoughts. Thinking that if you don't do anything. So you keep thinking the same, it's running the same program. And then who has a really old iPhone? Anybody has one of those? The old bricks? How's it working for you? Right? You can hold it up and be like, yeah. <laughs> right? But like those, I mean, even older than that, like the brick, you know, the, like, the, like the brick that came out. It's like little, like the hard edges. I see some people with those. And it's like, I can see them texting. It's like Morse code, you know? I'm, I'm, I, here, <laughs> you know? And you get like one word texts and you press a button. It takes a really long time. In other words, you know, an old computer, an old piece of technology that hasn't been refreshed, that hasn't been gone in and hacked and made new again, feels stuck, right? Feels stuck. And this is what happens. And you know, what we call the aging process is very much a kind of hardening of our habit patterns so that the brain, as we age, starts to just get into that rut. We get into that rut, it's all we know. And the aging brain unfortunately, is a source of so much suffering. We get set in our ways, set in our ways, and it's the same thing we do over and over again, but we were never a conscious creator in what those ways are. So yoga is a hack, and it's an, probably the most important thing, and the most important thing that you can do to change the software inside your mind. There's probably nothing else that matters as much as your practice in that way. And I don't mean the practice of, how can I put my leg behind my head? How can I get 10 steps to do a beautiful handstand press? Sure, do all that. But ask yourself, 
why you're doing it and understand that the poses are there so you can learn to speak the language of the body, which is the reservoir of the subconscious mind. There's um, uh, a scientist whose name is Dr. Candace Pert, and she wrote a book called The Molecules of Emotion. And her pioneering discovery was that inside of the body, there are as many, if not more, neuroreceptors for the same neurotransmitters that were previously thought to control emotions and only have receptors inside the brain. So she found, and I'll say that again because this is complex science it may be hard to understand. Some of you are like, that was biology from third grade. I don't, I don't, I, would, I slept through that. Um, you know, so I'm going to review that for a moment. I had to read that a few times when I was reading her book as well. So normally in the brain, we're, we, we previously, before her discovery, before her research, previously, um, we, in our biology studies, assumed and made the presumption that it was the brain that was the reservoir of emotions. And there were receptor cells for the chemicals of emotion. So chemicals like, like fear has a chemical associated with it. Love has a chemical associated with it. Happiness, depression, anger, all have chemicals associated with them. These aren't you know, external chemicals or manufactured inside the body. It was previously assumed that the brain was the place that these chemicals would go and be like anger, 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 and it would happen inside the brain. Dr. Candace Pert, in her book, Molecules of Emotion, she documents her research and, and, and really pioneering discovery that the body has as many, if not more, if I'm, if I'm remembering that correctly, receptors for emotions. So the same chemical that stimulates anger happiness, love, joy, fear, anxiety inside the brain live inside the body. So that's incredible when you think about it. So when you access body language and body intelligence, what ends up happening is you can make some serious updates to the subconscious mind. And her thesis basically says your body is your subconscious mind. You're thinking, thinking with what you're consciously aware of, but your body is feeling, 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 constantly and never stops. You can think about this as a person sleeps at night. You know, if you change the temperature, you do it yourself. If for some reason here in Florida, your air conditioning were to give out in the middle of the night, you would find yourself naked with no covers on. Maybe you'd be lucky enough to sleep through the night, right? So sorry if there's too much information, um, but I mean, this is reality. Florida is hot here. You turn off the air conditioning. You're probably all hot now, you know, so sorry. Um, but, but if we think about that again, what are we doing? We are here to make new neuropathways inside the mind, inside the brain that are actually measurable results. So I'm gonna to talk to you about another, um, another, another study that was done to measure impacts of long-term spiritual practice on the brain. There are a host of studies that document the uh, short-term positive impacts of both yoga and meditation. And these are two aspects of the spiritual path, which are intimately tied together in everything that you do um, when, you, you know, when you come to the Ashtanga yoga practice and path. Now, some of these things you could consider to be altered states. So what this means is that while you're practicing, then your tendencies towards you know, self-negativity, your tendencies towards self-hatred and um, other negative states are lessened. Has everybody experienced something like that? Yeah, that's why we keep coming back to practice. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're in a bad mood. You do your practice, what happens? Little bit less of a bad mood. Maybe you don't end the practice and love life, but you end the practice and you hate life less. That's worth it, right? So that is a substantial improvement, you know? Now, everybody's experienced this. This is easily documented in numerous studies. Now, there's an, there was a, um, 
I forget the name of the authors, but there's a book called Altered Traits, which was looking for evidence that long-term spiritual practitioners would permanently alter the neurobiology of their brain, which would be a permanent trait that they would then take off of the mat, off of the meditation cushion, and be different human beings than before they started the practice. So then they started to study long-term meditators, long-term yoga practitioners, people with a minimum of 10,000 hours of practice. What do we know about that magic 10,000 hour? What do you know? Who knows that? Have you heard about that 10,000 hours? Why is that important? That's a level of mastery, right? So a level of mastery, 10,000 hours, a level of mastery. Now, if we think about this, not to, you know, speak in a disparaging way about any, um, you know, yoga educational institutions in the world, but when we compare 10,000 hours of mastery versus 200 hours of training, I think we can start to really reflect on how much it actually takes to be a master of yoga. So 10,000 hours of yoga, it's a lot of yoga, you know, it's a lot of yoga. That's a lot. An hour a day for how many years? Like a lot of years. <laughs> so maybe 20 years, something like this. You do an hour a day. Maybe, maybe a little more, actually. I'm not, I need, anyway, I need to ask Siri to calculate that for me. So as was degenerate. Used, we used to do math and arithmetic on papers. Now we ask Siri. Siri, could you tell me how, no, then the, someone's phone's going to come on. So, um, so uh, 10,000 hours yoga. Imagine now for the, how many of you have a sitting practice and you're in a sitting practice, you sit for a little bit. Imagine now 10,000 hours of sitting. And we're like, you have to sit there for 10,000 hours. It sounds like torture, right? But now think mastery level. So in this book, Altered Traits, they started to look at people who attain minimum level of, of mastery, 10,000 hours. The unfortunate finding is that people who simply attained a mastery level were, 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 were what they demonstrated was a higher aptitude to get into those altered states. State, temporary states, peace, love, and happiness. Temporary states, self-compassion. Temporary states, forgiveness, oneness. But it, it evaporated. We go back to, click right back to, I hate the world today. So this means even master level yoga practitioners, meditators, were still sometimes falling in love with themselves and sometimes hating themselves. And they kept looking. They thought, no, this cannot be. This is depressing. 10,000 hours of yoga and I just hate myself less. This must be, there must be a better thing. Well, they went to say, are there super yogis out there? Are there people with an astronomical level of practice? They found some what you could call meditation prodigies, people that, um, one example of which is Yangi Mingyu Rinpoche, who uh, had documented at the time of the study over 60,000 hours of meditation. Think about that. That's, that's unbelievable. We're like, what, did you just say 60,000 hours of meditation? Even 60,000 hours in any skill would be quite an accomplishment. A surgeon that's documented 60,000 hours of surgery, a climber that's climbed for 60,000 hours. It would almost need to climb nonstop for 40 years. And Yangi Mingyu Rinpoche has dedicated his life to the practice of meditation, you know? And so there were other people that they studied. And this was something really interesting, really, really like the results of this kind of really high level dedication. So the brain waves that we were talking about, the fire and wire brain waves, these normal brain waves that are the standard operating system of the mind can be, can be measured um, by a, an fMRI and be documented and, and translated into what's called beta waves. How many of you have heard about beta waves before? So beta waves are when your brain is thinking about resources. What am I going to eat? What am I going to do later? I got to do laundry. I'm going to go to yoga. Wow, I really like yoga. And now I wonder what I'm going to wear to yoga. Ooh, my favorite pants are dirty. Beta waves. 
right? Can you identify, like, this is our brain, right? And this is where we live our lives, right? Ooh, I want to go on a trip. Where could be nice to go on vacation? Mm, I didn't like my last vacation. Maybe I want to go to the mountains this time. I mean, this is, this is our life. Like, we spend the life there. The vast majority of our brains, again, the 95% of our thinking, which is automated and subconscious, are, exists in these beta waves. Well, when, and, and we exist here. Now, the, the advanced meditators, 10,000 hours or more, what was interesting with them is they were able to switch out of beta states, beta brain waves, into high-level gamma waves, which is associated with the altered state of consciousness, um, very close to uh, feelings of oneness. Uh, high-level gamma waves are also associated with transcendental experiences, moments of mystical insights when we feel a connection to God, if we choose to call that God, or the experience of some kind of a, a spiritual presence, as well as just a feeling of peace, love, forgiveness, oneness, basically all the things we want. Right? So they found that the master level uh, practitioners were able to access that state quickly, but then they quickly returned to beta waves. As soon as it was like, okay, it's time to go, their brains were like, okay, I gotta get my keys, where are my keys, I get over here, all right, I gotta drive, traffic, life. Right? Now, the super yogis, when they began their MRI tests to establish a baseline for their brain waves, their resting state was already at a higher level gamma than the master practitioners achieved in their deepest states of meditation. Think about that for a moment. Whatever the master level, so let's say here, we're on a beta frequency, you're a master level yoga practitioner, and you start to really do the inner work, cultivating a field of compassion, cultivating those inner states of, you know, dharana, the concentration, dhyana, the meditative mind, samadhi, the states of deep inner immersions, and you manage to change your brain waves, which is deep work, and you're up here at a gamma level, and these are these moments of epiphanies where you feel practice is amazing, life is amazing, they've changed your life that high. Then this practitioner comes in and their baseline, what they're operating on when they're going about getting in their cars, going around, is this much higher. And we think about that and we're like, oh my God. So that's an altered trait. That means that they live in a different reality. Their world has changed for that being. And what was really interesting, this is kind of like a parenthetical thing that's interesting, is that these advanced yogis, when their brains were um, scanned and they were engaged in these deep, the, the, their deep meditation practices, the very first thing that happened was the researchers thought they were all having a stroke because their gamma frequencies went off the charts into something that was never documented before. And then uh, the researchers ran in and were like, oh my God, you're having a stroke. And then they were just sitting there meditating going, oh, why are you so concerned? <laughs> I thought you were gonna be dead. Oh, I'm not dead, I was doing the meditation. You wanted to study. Did you still wanna study it or is there a problem? Oh, carry on, you know? And, and, and so this is very interesting when we think about it. Imagine that here you are and you have this tool, the technology, you have this brain, you have this software, you have this, this thing, you know, this body, brain, mind, matter phenomenon that you're working with, but you don't know how to work it. And there's a whole other vast potential that exists. And this is what I mean when I say that yoga is a life hack. 
Yoga is a way for you to hack your brain. And what we're aiming for is to one day shift the baseline frequencies of our brain so that we're no longer firing and wiring the frequencies of fear, firing and wiring the frequencies of worry and scarcity and the whole delusional madness of me and mine, and instead operating from an entirely different paradigm. We want to we change the brain so deeply so that we're operating in a different paradigm. So our world is literally different. And this is why the practice is hard. This is why there's, there's discipline and effort and why it takes so much time. What are we up against? The entire inertia of human civilization. Not only are we up against our own lives and all of the personal misery that we've created, but we're up against our genetic inheritance, you know, of all of the history of humanity, which has been kind of orienting towards more and more of the same, except for these few brave pioneering individuals like the yogis of times past who sat in a cave and checked out of the rat race of life and said, I think there's something else and sat there and discovered it and passed it on to us. And we're here today as the recipients of these brilliant scientists who went in there and hacked this crazy software, you know, and we're just novices out here, me too, you know, on the path. And I think, I, I think that's something to, that, that, that really, if you think about it, keeps you inspired to do the work of practice and really makes you understand that the poses are just a doorway, a tool to get you into that deep inner state. I hope this episode inspired you to get on your mat and start practicing if you're not practicing yet, or if you're already practicing, to keep the inspiration to get on your mat every day. You'll see for yourself just how powerful yoga can be used to hack into those old patterns in your mind and update the operating system of your mind so you can experience more peace, more happiness in your life today. Remember, if you want to practice with me online to go deeper into the yoga journey, you can find me on www.omstars.com. And you can find all my books wherever books are sold online and in person. And I look forward to continuing this journey of seeking up with you. So stay tuned. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.